Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike, destroying uh, my producer's ears with my insane sound levels. So, Cameron, I'm just showing the audience how good of a producer you are, because my sound is like a mess today, but you're going to make it sound great, right? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to give you a 50% Spike Feed, uh, maybe. Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. we specialize in the 50% guarantees. Anyway, that's my producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Dude, what is up? We have got new standard, new limited, new exploring slash pioneering. We also, this is officially a band cast, and we totally knew it was going to be a band cast. Yeah. So we totally waited till Wednesday to record just <laughs> the clairvoyance so over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had nothing to do with us both traveling this weekend. It had everything to do with Winota amazing on our parts um anyway dude i want to hear about you what you've been up to what you've been playing yeah uh dipping my toe in explore and all of my experiences with explore are pre-banning and so like that's really kind of painting the picture for me of like what the the week has been um and i'll say positive uh very very positive when I wasn't playing against a Winona deck, which I was going to say, excuse me, Cameron, these text messages I have receipts, dude. I have text <laughs> messages from you that are not positive. Yeah, about uh, Winona. So Winona specifically was very negative. Um, but the format as a whole, holy cow, uh, we're back. <laughs> can we can we say yeah. that? I feel like uh, we're we're back in some ways as far as like a really good non rotating format. Uh, That was Pioneer, but now it's like, you know, Explorer, whatever. I'm happy with it. Um, Is it perfect? By no means, no, it's not. It's not. I still think after this week with the bunt bannings, there's still going to be a lot of tweaks that need to happen. Um, I'm looking forward to those, though. I'm looking forward to just being in that metagame and running my head against a wall with some of these cards just to see how they interact, how they play, and what the long game of, of Explorer slash Pioneer is going to be here in the next two years. Um, it's really exciting. And the blue-white control list, super good. Uh, instant speed removal um, is, like, I, I can't believe how good that is. Um, like, I'm really, really happy that we have an instant speed removal. Um, ex- like, I mean, exile essentially everything, uh, which is just great. Um, Wrath, the format of Wrath, um, if we didn't have that, I feel like the format would be completely busted wide open. Control would be completely unplayable. So I'm glad that we're, we have format of Wrath. We'll uh, sometime get Supreme Verdict. Uh, what else with, with Control? I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I really am digging this list a lot. Even without, like, some of the key components that, that Pioneer has, the Explorer, Blue-White Control list... It's very playable, very good, um, and I, I welcome kind of just playing that deck, honestly, in in paper. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that that format, even Pioneer, like the the full Pioneer experience, is so it's so like not charted. It's the undiscovered country, Cameron. If I speak in your language here, um, <laughs> but it's just like <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I've been feeling the wrath of Khan. These are literally the only two Star Trek titles I know. So. <laughs> no, um, dude. So it's weird because even 
three quarters Pioneer is so much better than Historic. Right. It like really sticks out to you when you play it with decks like Tibble's Trickery and Winota. Just for the record, we're recording it a day before the bands go live. So mm-hmm. um, that is definitely coloring our perception. And you were talking about how bad of an experience you've had played against Winota. And I was like, dude, the blue-white deck is the deck that beats up on Winota. Like, yeah. if, you, if you are just mid-range whatever good freaking luck right like that's just not happening with especially if they have their their extreme draw where they winota on turn three right like it's just not going to happen for you um i've also been playing the blue white control i've been playing the yorian deck i am very likely going to buy this in paper mm-hmm. um because there's a, there's an alarming amount of those cards now that i don't have that i thought oh maybe i've got that and then i'm like oh wait a minute <laughs> i didn't <laughs> buy any of these sets in paper so i've really got to get that sort i still have phoenix I'm not convinced Phoenix will be that good. The weird thing about Supreme Verdict, just kind of bouncing back to an earlier point of yours, Supreme Verdict being gone makes stuff like Rogues and like the blue-red Sprite Dragon decks like a little bit better um, hmm. because they, I mean, all the rests are counterable, but like against a Supreme Verdict, Rogues is kind of, uh, I mean, it's laughable, right? Like you can, and you're always playing four Supreme Verdicts in all these control decks. Yeah. It's a really, really pivotal thing, but... Uh, the Wandering Emperor, like holy, holy monkey, dude! That card, like, let's let's uh let's go. I'm ready to play that card in paper, right? Yeah. Act like I don't have it. Act irritated. Pick up the pen like I'm gonna change my life. To oh, <laughs> Fool here's you. a Wandering Emperor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whoopsie. Looks like I'll exile that guy. Uh, man, what a bummer. Um, dude, but I've I've got to tell you this. Like, the last seven to ten days of playing explorer is the most fun i've been had had playing magic in a long time yeah like a long long time and so it just felt really good to have that experience i said this a little bit last week but i just even in its imperfect form the paper analog thing is so important and powerful and even like watsy clearly underestimated it but i even underestimated how important it would be to be like hey i like this deck I want these cards. I want to buy them. I want to test in paper. Yeah. And re- so, yeah. So did you play any new standard or new um, n- new limited, any of that? I, I, I played some more limited. <laughs> I'm like this broken record where, like, I keep on thinking that I don't like New Capina, but, like, somehow I keep on playing and winning a lot. And so I just keep on continuing. Like, I'm just, like, on this kind of thing of, like, you know, I have the gems. I'm just going to constantly recycle them add some more gems and i mean i've been doing extremely well um like and i i think i've played every type of deck that you could play from the bant deck to the jun deck to the grixis deck whatever um and having a really successful good time um the mana you you can make the mana work for you no matter what especially in draft so that's fantastic um I, I think some of the removal, like you get murder and all, like all these other like really really strong cards, like removal is just sometimes that's like a pack one pick one. Well, I'm going blue black with a splash of red, and here we go, right? So, um, I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I'm I feel like I'm just gonna go on this like slow trajectory with New Capino, where I was like really lukewarm at first, and you know three months from now I'm gonna probably be a master at it. So we'll see. <laughs> The the winning makes you like it more. It's Shocking. surprising, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Um, 
Well, before we get into our our, our like actual discussion on Winona and Tybalt's trickery being banned, some of the interesting things they said in the BNR announcement, I want to talk a little bit about Standard because I decided to set aside all the fun I was having with Explorer and say, hey, I'll try Standard. Oh, look, an Esper deck is good. Maybe I'll play that. Oh, no, I need like 22 wild cards <sighs> to complete that deck. Like, I don't know if you've looked at it, but like, it is extremely, extremely taxing on the wild card front. Like, brutally so. Um, where I kind of got into this moment of like, wait, if I buy $100 worth of gems, I don't know that I'll have this deck. Yeah. So that was a little bit of a tall order. Um, however, I think that is, if not the best deck, the second best deck. It's really, 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 really good. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, I wasn't playing the really good deck, Cameron. I was playing Blue-Red Dragons, which I still had all of. I didn't have to like convert any wild cards or whatever. And uh, that deck stinks on ice. Really? It is mm -hmm. so bad in this metagame. It is so, so, so bad in this metagame. Because you'll notice that Rakdos uh, Artifacts right exist you can't interact almost like at all with a bunch of their stuff unless you counterspell it spoiler not gonna right then you'll also notice that orzov control esper midrange a ton of these decks have enchantments if your opponent resolves a wedding announcement on you mm. sometimes you don't have enough removal or the cards to address that like it is brutal and I kind of did this thing with Goldfish where I was like, well, you know, somebody's 5 and owing with this like every three or four days or so. So maybe it's okay. Yeah. No, sir. No, it's not okay. So the question so, of if too many treasure tokens can be a bad thing or just maybe a nothing, uh, this this standard metagame seems to kind of prove that treasure doesn't really matter in, with Goldspan. Yeah, well, it, the problem is all the support pieces, because if they get, like, I can't remember the Anvil's name, the Black Red Anvil, they get Wedding Announcement underneath you, that, like, all the Nye Enchantment stuff can go yeah. underneath you, and essentially, all your removal is either bounce or damage-based, and all these decks have workarounds for that, or it doesn't matter to them, or in the case of Esper, they can keep bringing back the uh, Underdog card, or they can they mm. have that uh, three mana flyer that has ward like that by the way can become like a two five <laughs> and you have a four four gold span drag right so there was just so many moments where you're like I am so far out of gas mm. I have nothing 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 and there are times where I have two gold span dragons down and I can't still do anything right the the Esper deck is answers upon answers upon answers it is a mid-range creature deck in a lot of ways in a lot of ways it feels a lot more like classic jund i don't know if you've looked at those lists um than an esper deck the way you, you know like esper dragons or something uh, yeah. existed in the past um but you are just showing up to a gunfight with a putty knife dude it is brutal you see this is why you should be playing alchemy because you could have a nerfed goldspan dragon against this deck, and then all of a sudden, like, Goldspan Dragon, I don't know, becomes a 10-10 haste creature with, like, 20 tokens attached to it or something like that, uh, thanks to alchemy, rather than what you're talking about, which is, like, 
this is the incredible thing about Standard. What was the biggest monster, the biggest boogeyman of a deck two months ago is just now complete garbage, and we have a completely new Standard metagame. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a miracle when this stuff actually works and happens and you have a diverse metagame and you don't have to change the name, like, you know, the text on the cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I, would, I would posit to you that what we're discussing also forces innovation because there is going to be somebody that sits down with a blue-red deck. They go to F&M. They get crushed. They go, okay, this is the mana base I've got. Mm-hmm. Goldspan Dragon is a good card. How do I reconfigure how I think about this deck yeah. to make it more competitive for my local FNM. Not the massive metagame, not what's on the online, you know, yeah. and, and I would still posit that this is the lost art. I'm not going to be people in that deck too much because <laughs> clearly I'm not that guy. I love looking at decks online and seeing how they're constructed and seeing the thought process. But my big beef always, and where I've made way too much money through Friday Night Magic is, people just copy the deck from Star City Games. Usually, like at my shop, it was the most affordable top five deck, right? Mm-hmm. You would see so many of that, and so then you would, okay, this guy's on this, this guy's on this, this guy's on this, and I would do the 45 minutes before tournament. Okay, this is what my sideboard looks like now. This is what, and you plan for that metagame, not the metagame writ large. Yeah, and yeah. That's the stuff I miss out of, like, magic shop culture is being like, oh, man, so-and-so's here. He's playing control. I mean, people looked at me and said, that guy's playing control. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And th- then I would show up with green-red mid-range, and then it was just like a... A fun way to kind of like work around. And, you know, I'm sure like people that golf, they have they have these kinds of th- conversations too. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure golfing people exist somewhere out there in the world. But yeah, like I mean, my legacy deck. Like if you were to look at my sideboard, you'd be like, "Why do you have so many of X?" Well, it's because there's 15 elves opponents, and of course, I'm going to be yeah. running right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, anyway, tangents aside, I just. Standard seems cool. It seems like we're kind of in that like four or five decks range, like mono okay. white, black white, black red. I feel Naya. like I'm missing an obvious one. Esper, Naya. Like that, that's kind of where you want to be. Um, Naya's good draws seem to beat everything else, hmm. um, but Esper is the super middle of the road Jun type experience. So I don't know that there's a control deck. It sure as heck is in black or blue red. Like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Probably black-white, I would assume, because you get so many exile effects that way, and you have wrath effects, which are actually quite good. Um, but, yeah, I haven't tested e- everything. I, I haven't decided if I'm going to put all my money into the slot machine to get some Esper, um, or if I'm just going to put black-white and white, or black white together first. So, um, Cameron, let's talk about bans. Now, this is a weird ban announcement, because it happened on a Wednesday, for starters. Mm-hmm. Um... Basically, they say, yo, Winona's a problem. Uh, however, we currently plan to unban Winona and reevaluate her position shortly after the release of Dominaria United this fall. Um, they are going to give us some wild cards for these cards. So that's cool. Um,. Yeah, Tybalt's trickery, I think, is a different conversation. But let's just start with Winota because I think that's like a bigger part of the metagame and our thought mm-hmm. process. So go. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, uh, well, Winota, and let's not forget the uh, the goblin 
uh, king. I can't remember his name. Like goblins is completely unplayable, but like does essentially the same sort of thing with just putting a ton of you know things from your library onto the battlefield. Um, this sort of effect, I'm just completely over with. Like I, I I want them to just kind of writ large, like just get rid of it. Um, and honestly, give me a birthing pod deck. I'd much rather be playing against a birthing pod deck with like some of the redundancy that that has compared to a Nota deck. Um, yeah, like my experiences for the past week have been painted fairly negatively uh, with Explorer because of when specifically Winona. Um, that card, it, it, it's just, I mean, on turn three, you're able to get 16 power onto the battlefield and that just, you know, is not okay. Um, and I, I mean, I think we talked about this last week, but if you were any other sort of aggro deck, I don't see how you're competitive against the Winota deck because it can just outrace you, outclass you in every single way. So I think that's great. Them putting a little asterisk to say, well, just wait until this fall. Wait until you see what we have coming. I'm still kind of of the mindset. No, this card and this and, and where Pioneer is at right now, Explorer is at right now, just show at the door and maybe we have a conversation in three or four years. Uh, or never again. Or never I again. could never yeah. see one. Yeah. Um, I'm just really, Winota is just not my favorite card in the world. It's kind of a dumb, and it was, like, I feel like it benefited so much by being surrounded by other incredibly stupid cards, (laughs) um, that we just kind of, like, look past it, but in a lot of ways, I would rather play against Uro than Winota. Mm. Um, I know Uro's a better card and been more oppressive and all those things, but, like, I don't feel like I lost to a giant die roll. When yes. they play a neuro. Um, and so, and again, it's not really a die roll. You're probably dead unless your opponent gets like significantly unlucky if they activate the Winota. Um, but it's not a card that I'm going to ever miss. And I think its mere presence is always going to limit mid range. And I think the priority for Pioneer should be we want to support that style of deck, right? Mm-hmm. And a card like Luminarch Aspirant does that. Yeah. Right? That card is super good at putting a ton of pressure, sometimes so much pressure on a control deck they can't operate. Whereas something like Winota is just like, okay, cool. You turned it, you attacked with a gilded goose that has no power, and now I'm dead. So that's fun. Um, so I, w- I would like this not to come back. Tybalt's Trickery, I'm kind of like, I got to be honest with you, Cameron. I've not played against it in Explorer yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I know it, it kind of reminds me of an Oops All Spells situation where. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit of a boogeyman, um, but I don't know if the numbers back it up. I think it's just a feel bad when you lose to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a little bit more like, eh, right? Yeah, it's it's obviously a dumb card that should have never been printed, but that's that's neither here nor there in this context. I, I think if we're just going back, if we were to go back 12 months, 18 months ago, when I was like really all in on Pioneer, and if we looked at the band list then. Um, honestly, I would kind of use that as my point of reference for where we are with Explorer. So something like Winota, something like Tybalt's Trickery, there's a couple other cards out there where I'm like, yeah, let's just get rid of them in Pioneer as well and just kind of get it to a point where, okay, these, you know, we're even as far as like what, what, what cards are banned in which format and, 
Um, that's, I think, where I would like it to be. So I'm fine with Tybalt's Trickery. I haven't played against it, um, so I don't know what the feel-bad is like, but um, it's the sort of card when we read it for the first time, we're like, oh, that's just going to cause so many combos to happen, and I'm fine with there not being a turn two or turn one combo. Yeah, yeah, yes, and I just... I don't I, I don't see it that often. I feel terrible. Like I know I'm supposed to be more well researched or whatever. But it's just like I don't run into it. Whereas Winota is like a third of the games I explore games I play or something. Like it's a lot. Yeah. So um it's a little bit different. Which also worth pointing out, three mana Teferi does shut down Tybalt's trickery, but we decided that that's too good for Explorer, which I still I mean, maybe I'm just not playing enough Pioneer. Uh, but it just really I don't know, like I think they uh, want some interaction. And like I, I listen, I I love three mana Teferi, but if if his banning means we get other decks, other cards, so be it. I'm fine with it. Well, it looks like it doesn't matter if I'm fine or not, because it, <laughs> it feels like that is very off the table. But anyway, Cameron, we're gonna get out of the segment, come back and talk about what else we've been up to this week. All right, Cameron. So I know there's a deep well of rage inside of you regarding the most. Okay. So I got to be honest with you. I don't know a ton about Star Trek. We've talked about this before. Mm. I like almost everything I know I've learned from you. Um, but there's like multiple. There's like a Star Trek series with Captain Picard that just ended. There's a new one also coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. And I know supposedly Paramount is terrible on all their TV shows. Apparently the Halo thing is also a disaster. So, hit me, man. Let the let the rage flow. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The Paramount thing, like I, I Discovery, the first one that kind of launched everything, it had its moments, but overall, I just didn't like what it was doing. You know, I'm so much more of like the procedural. I wanted just an episode of a week of Star Trek. I mean, I still revisit. Deep Space Nine and Voyager, which had like these big overarching arcs, but each episode is really just kind of like really self-contained and so be it. And I, I kind of really miss that sort of television. Um, and I understand that that's just not the way that television is produced anymore. We get 10 episode season long arcs rather than 24 episodes of good TV. I miss that about comic books too. And to this day, that's what I love about Conan the Barbarian stories is you get an adventure in one issue, yeah. usually. But there's too many six-issue arcs now because we've got to sell a trade paperback. Yep. And me going, wait, what happened last month? Exactly. So, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the most recent thing that had come out was Star Trek Picard Season 2. I absolutely loathed Star Trek Picard Season 1. Um, like what it was trying to say. It was just all over the place. It just didn't feel like it was Star Trek in any sense of the, like, like what the ideal utopia society that we're supposed to be aspiring toward is. Uh, season two continues that. Uh, they introduced Q again, which was like kind of like one of the best, um, you know, the, the villain that's roguish, but everybody loves, um, really kind of sets the crew on a, um, a morality tale sometimes and it's it's always those are always like some of the best strongest episodes uh so they they reintroduce him and completely flounder with that character um it just feels like this is a vanity project for sir patrick stewart 
and I love the guy, but he should not be in charge of Captain Picard's character because he wants to take it in directions that don't really equate to where Captain Picard was, you know, in our mind's eye for the last 20 years. It just doesn't make any sense. So, like, it, it was just frustrating. On top of that, it's just kind of bad television. Like, I mean, there are certain episodes where, like, it, they're so heavy-handed with the metaphors. Like, they go back in time, and it's, like, a couple years into the future of our timeline of where we're at right now. And they're dealing with, like, essentially ICE agents, and one of the main characters is, you know, captured by an ICE agent, is getting to be sent back to the other side uh, to the other side of Mexico. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, two of the other characters set him free, and it just ends. And it, it was, like, this most open-ended, like, isn't this bad? But there was no, like, real message behind it, or just, like, it was just a dangling thing that they just wanted to put out there and not have any sort of resolution with. And that's what this entire season of Picard was, was just a lack of resolution. I don't even, it, it, it's so frustrating. It's not even, it's not even bad Star Trek. It's just bad TV, but I'm watching it because it has the Star Trek name in front of it. Um, they, I'm a sucker because of it. Wow. I'm sorry, yeah, Cameron. Yeah. On the bright side though, last week, uh, they did the premiere of Brave New Worlds, which is the Captain Pike happening 10 or 15 years before Captain Kirk, right? So it, it, it's still in that Discovery world and dealing with the exact same characters that were in Discovery. And it has, like, that cast that I like. The guy that plays Spock is great and spot on. The guy that they hired for, for Pike is awesome. And the surrounding cast around it is really, really good. And it did something that was, like, kind of shocking to me. It was kind of like an average episode of season four of The Next Generation, which made it, honestly, the best Star Trek I've seen in the last five years. <laughs> it was really, Yikes. really, it was like surprisingly just average, but a really, you know, fun, unique story just about um, kind of putting a mirror up to society and today, which is what, you know, good sci-fi kind of does. So um, I'm very hopefully optimistic with this Brave New Worlds, that it, it's a different creative team from what Picard and Discovery was. It still has Alex Kurtman, Kurtzman associated with it, but it's a different team. So I'm really hoping hoping that they can take this in the direction of hope, optimism, good sci-fi storytelling um, in a single episode. So hopefully that happens, dude. Um, sorry, I had to go on my diatribe there. No, no, no. God <laughs> knows you've had to endure a few of mine. Um, the thing that shocks me... so. I will get to Doctor Strange here in a second, but like the the kind of anti-Marvel backlash stuff, and when people say you know Marvel's taking over and none of these other franchises can keep up, and then like well the problem is is they are clearly doing a much better job writing their franchise, and how some of these people in some of these situations make creative decisions on and look there there's a lot of the new Star Wars stuff I really like, but then there's other creative decisions and I'm like how did this pass? Yep muster it all and you know there is an army of people that can write that love star trek like lots of them and are just not given this opportunity but somehow these other people that don't seem to care about franchises or i can never tell if it's studio meddling or just poor script writing or some kind of weird combination Combo, thereof yeah, yeah 
But like, I, I don't know. Like, I just don't have a lot of sympathy for these, you know, these other franchises that are supposed to be big ticket, but they can't get it together because it's like you're not writing it well, right? Yeah. And there are problems with Marvel. There are problems with Disney. No one's saying there isn't. But like to act like the reason that they're not successful is because of how well they've been writing these things is a little bit ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. even if you take the worst Marvel movie, it's at least competent. Yeah. Right? I can't say that about Batman versus Superman. <laughs> right. And and so whereas like Eternals at least was a thought that had a beginning and end. I did not like that film. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But then even the other ones like are just kind of mildly inoffensive. Yeah. Yeah. And and then the good ones are really good. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, dude, I, like I, I just caught like because, you know, there's all this going around on social media and stuff about Disney bullying theaters to make sure they get so many screens. And I guess there's a theater in New York that showed only Doctor Strange and people were upset about this. And it's like, I mean, there are massive problems with the movie industry. Saying that Disney is too control, like it's a new thing. It's just insanity to me like what have you been paying attention to the last 50 years brother like i i mean it didn't happen yesterday when i was in high school we got to go behind the scenes on the disney back lot and like the amount of rules and control they had of like no photography i mean like everything because they want to maintain that disney magic on the front Mm. side of everything so you can't you you know, you can't peek behind the curtain, right? Or you can't show what's behind the curtain. Yeah. Uh, very similar. I mean, like, that, that's kind of been their modus operandi forever. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, what, was it, what, what was the uh, Cloud Atlas? In mm. that book, the movies are all called Disney's, because Disney owns all media in that. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, of course, that, that was like a Russian doll of a novel, and so that was like a far future element mm-hmm. of that, whatever. Anyway, um, I do want to just mention Doctor Strange really quickly because um, Doctor Strange, one of my favorite characters. I, I'm reading Doctor Strange. Like, again, I'm, I'm a subscriber to it. I really like that character. Um, first of all, not to spoil anything, just like the first one, some great wristwatch action if you become a rich, wristwatch guy <laughs> like me. Um you know, there's something there's something to enjoy there. You get to see a JLC spoilers, but it's a really <laughs> nice one. And uh, but no, dude, like someone told me, hey, it's a horror movie. And no, it was my wife. She's like, hey, I heard it was a horror movie. And I said, oh, well, it's Doctor Strange. So it's going to be like Eldritch. Cause, like I was thinking like Bloodborne, mm. uh, Cthulhu <laughs> type horror. And no, no, no. As much as a Marvel movie could be, it's like a zombie slash slasher slash horror picture yeah (laughs) correct and boy those touches are unmistakable um and there are moments i'm not going to spoil but like i'm just saying like uh you really feel the sam raminess of it a lot more than even the spider-man films okay if you're an evil dead 2 or army of darkness guy you're gonna feel pretty at home (laughs) um I, I liked but didn't love my my niggles are very small and not worth going over without ruining the film, uh, but a very a good Marvel movie that I I liked but didn't love, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would I would say the continued strength of the Doctor Strange stuff is they they keep staying really true to that character. Like if you were to pick up a Doctor Strange comic, you're really not that far off from that portrayal of the character and the way that you are with Thor, and like. 
just messing around with arcane stuff to try and solve a problem and making things worse and all that stuff is very Doctor Strange and mm-hmm. um, there is some Eldritch you know there there's a sp- specific scene that I was like that's some Bloodborne stuff right there <laughs> nice. so um, so I, I think uh, it's it, real my, good my, my big question is like how much of the multiverse do you get or or is it like much like, less than you think okay that's kind of what I've got i guess from twitter a little bit but i've it's good to hear because like you know i didn't know if it was like the trailer really does make it feel like you're gonna see a hundred different worlds and it's gonna be pure insanity yeah and i would also say like marvel doesn't tend to lean into the multiverse stuff the way that dc does like it's there Mm -hmm. um but i think it's become kind of the pillar of this um, whatever freaking phase is it four? They're in phase sure, four of whatever, whatever. Marvel. <laughs> yeah, that's just like the pillar of what they want to do, and that's that's cool. Like I don't have a, a problem with it, but I don't love it becoming central the way I do to DC stuff, where mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. there's very real like, hey, this is Earth two, this is Earth three, and I mean, especially with the way that ties in with Flash stuff yeah. specifically. Yeah, I just feel like that's more kind of part of DC's DNA, where the Marvel multiverse stuff is always. I mean, it's kind of contained to Doctor Strange. Like, the cosmic stuff in Marvel is a much bigger story. The um, the Midnight Sun stuff, Blade, Ghost Rider, all that mm-hmm. stuff, that is also a bigger part than just the multiverse stuff. So, um, anyway, I, you should go see it. You'll enjoy it. I think yeah. it's, in terms of director style, it's probably got the most of that. Like, yes, it still looks like a Marvel movie, but it doesn't have that kind of Ant-Man blandness okay. where you're like... Yeah. Wow, this all looks kind of samey. Um, cool. Last last thing I want to mention to you, Cameron, is a book I am reading. Okay, so you know me, I'm always liking to come in with the uh, the super hot fantasy debuts, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Justice of Kings. I haven't finished this book yet, but it is basically um, it is the first book, and it just came out of what's going to be a trilogy. And step one, it's very digestible. I want to say it's like 400 pages, three, 400 pages. So, and you might hear, oh, come on, Curtis. There are an alarming amount of fantasy novels that are not that, (laughs) right? And they do a really good job of conveying it. It has this kind of like 1700, 1800s Germany vibe to it. (laughs) Okay, yeah. And yes, there is magic, but essentially this guy is like a... Medieval Judge Dredd, like he travels around to all the little villages and helps them adjudicate issues. Yeah. And it's mostly told like a Sherlock Holmes novel. The assistant. <sighs> okay. The assistant who's a younger, like, I think she's like 18, 19 teenager. She is his personal, like, assistant. And she is telling the story of what happens to this investigation of this murder of this baroness in this village. And there's actually a lot of political machinations in it, but they really do an amazing job of, or I should say he does, Richard Swan is the author's name. He does an amazing job of conveying the bigness of the story while you're in the context of this little village murder mystery and kind of the things that could be going on outside of it. Um, All you had to say was 16th century German Sherlock Holmes, and I would be like on this, (laughs) this sounds amazing. (laughs) <laughs> it's a re- it's a really cool um, concept. Yeah, and like the guy's powers are, if someone is immediately dead, he can try and pull information out of them. That's so cool. like it's yeah. it's not, but it's not like 
he doesn't like snap his fingers and go, yo, dog, who murdered you? It's like a little <laughs> bit more complex and fuzzy than that. But the audio book is also like really well narrated. I, I don't have the, the, the actress's name in front of me, but she does a great job going between all these things. And like some of these words are not easy to say. She does a really great job with it. So it's, it's a fun one. Like, hey, it's a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're Repeat not. Repeat the title you know. again right now. So it's called The Justice of Kings by Richard Swan. And I think, now I'm trying to find this, but I believe uh, he is an author that wrote this and then basically got picked up by a publisher and then Orbit bought the contract away from that publisher. So, and Orbit's like the biggest fantasy mm-hmm. sci-fi publisher out there. They like snapped it up like immediately. So, yeah, really, 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 really fun read so far. I'm more than halfway through it, and unless it really drops the ball, I'm going to be digging it. I tend to try, like, because as you know this about me, there are many books that I start and don't finish. Mm-hmm. I try to keep my book recommendations to the ones that I'm, like, locked in on. Yeah. Um, and this one has really, really got me. It's got a, you know, hey, if you're one of these people, it's got, like, a 413 on Goodreads. So right. yeah. uh, for a fantasy debut, that's not bad. So anyway... Uh, Cameron, if someone would like to get a hold of you and talk to you about 18th century Germany, where could they find you? <laughs> That's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I am at Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at Spike Feed MTG. We'll check you guys next week.